0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, hi there. I'm your host, Simon. What we do here is I have a script for me in front of me. Right here, can you hear it? It's uh, Charles Manson, the man who ended the 60s. This is the Manson family episode. I was always a little bit hesitant to tackle some of the, like, bigger crime stories because they've been so covered, whether factually by other true crime podcasts and YouTube shows or uh, fictionally by Quentin Tarantino in, uh, that really great movie from last year or 2019? Something- 2019, I feel. It was when I still went to the cinema. Um, but yeah. Anyway, but I thought people were asking, people say, Simon, you should cover some of the big guys because we'd like your take on them. We'd like your writer's take on them. And I'm like, okay. In that case, let's do that. Because also, I mean... <laughs> From a business perspective, they probably get more listens and views. So, win-win. This is actually, I believe this is Chris, Chris's first script for Casual Criminalist. (laughs) Round of applause. Welcome, Chris. Welcome to the party, pal. I'm going to feel bad because I haven't done that for previous new authors on Casual Criminalist, but uh, welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Charles Manson, the man who ended the 60s. The introduction is finally ending and we're getting into the script. it's december 1969 the last gasp of the swinging 60s bombs are falling on vietnam secret wars are being fought in cambodia and Laos. and nixon is in the white house jfk has been assassinated as of martin Luther king and malcolm x and fred hampton of the black panthers has been murdered by the police just a few months prior the world watched awestruck, as nasa astronauts landed on the moon the prison island of alcatraz is being held by an armed gang of american indian movement aim members who will end up holding the authorities at bay for the next 18 months as a protest against the forced dispossession of the first nations peoples across america it feels like the world has been spinning out of control for a good decade or so and it's showing no signs of slowing down the 60s sound intense i mean it's like you think of like 2010 2020 like the last decade to go by and you're like yeah there were some wars there was some disease there was some stuff but nothing crazy i I mean there was this crazy stuff but there's not like uh, there's not vietnam there's not the assassination of a president and martin luther king jr malcolm x wild there's no landing on the moon the 60s were interesting damn And in Los Angeles, police are wondering what could possibly connect a dead music teacher, a mansion full of brutally murdered Hollywood royalty, and the bloodied corpses of a couple who made it big in the grocery business, savagely butchered in their own home. By the mid-1970s all would be revealed charles manson charlie to his devotees in what became known as the family would rise to prominence as an emblem of the dark side of 60s counterculture often called the man who ended the 60s his crimes most committed by his brainwashed followers on his behalf would come to represent a turning point in american history and the end of america's cultural influence am i imagining it or did charles manson recently die I believe, I know this is all about to be covered, I'm absolutely sure, but I feel like he died like last year or a couple of years ago. And wasn't he originally scheduled to be executed in the 70s, but then California adopted the death penalty? And it's like, it's Charles Manson, couldn't we have just done it after he was killed? (laughs) I mean, I mean, as we'll find out, he was a dick. The Swinging Sixties to understand the Manson murders, we need to understand the times in which they were committed. With the appalling destruction of World War II and the subsequent anti-communist panics still still in living memory, an unusually strong and persistent counterculture had developed. First, through the Beatnik movement, think black leather jackets, heroin and anti-establishment poetry. Those are three very different things. The Beatniks have it all had it all covered. Like three things: poetry, okay, leather jackets, okay, and heroin. Oh, Oh, okay. Just throw some heroin in there, shall we? Wow. And then with luminaries like Ken Kesey of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest fame, setting up an alternative lifestyle commune in La Honda on the outskirts of San Francisco. Does alternative lifestyle mean what I think it means? I I think of like swingers. Yeah, baby! (laughs) When I think of alternative lifestyle, is that what we're getting at here? This la honda commune attracted more than fifteen thousand cult counterculture types to nearby haight ashbury where they experimented with alternative lifestyles new age philosophy and various forms of anarcho-communism often with the aid of hallucinogens and promiscuous sex so maybe the general attack on traditionalism also took the form of the rejection of class race and gender discrimination loosely grouped under the banner of the civil rights movement the new left movement amongst many others campaigned stridently for african-american and native american rights protesters some armed took over the campus of berkeley university and other locations in pursuit of free speech and equal hiring practices the million man march laid bare the brutality of racial segregation and the yippies a political offshoot of the hippies organized protests and pulled stunts like putting up a pig as a candidate for president of the united states all over the country and indeed the world rebellion protest and sometimes violent attempts to overthrow the established order convulsed governments and outraged respectable citizens and daily mail readers as they pored over their morning papers ah chris i think well i i I don't sometimes i don't you know chris is a new writer and i don't remember where he's from or if he's told me but i'm guessing because of his comments about the daily mail there that he is british the daily mail i feel is like um i don't know if fox news would be the equivalent i feel i don't know i know people rag on fox news but i don't is it as bad as the daily mail the daily mail is both conservative and extremely trashy at the same time um so, maybe it is like Fox News. And somewhere in the middle of all of this, there's Spahn Movie Ranch, a cowboy themed tourist trap offering pony rides. And a look around a real life movie set, and where the blind and aging owner has agreed to let Charlie and his family stay in exchange for labor and running the site. The members of the family, overwhelmingly female and a floating population of between 20 and 25 individuals, sit sprawled on rickety chairs, beanbags, and the floor, eyes glazed from LSD and marijuana, while the short statured, bearded figure of Charles Manson paces up and down delivering the after-dinner lecture on his psychic connection to john lennon and the hidden meaning of the song helter skelter outside various other members of the family conduct armed patrols of the compound checking on camouflage installations and chatting quietly about how lucky they are to have found a man who is so clearly the embodiment of the messiah it's amazing like cult leaders It's crazy. Like, I think of charismatic people I know. People who just have, like, natural charm. And you're like, you just... You know, people you just like. You're just like, I just like that person. I don't know why. They're just, like, charismatic. But then it's like, could they run a cult? Hell no, they're not that charismatic. Get people to do shit like this? Good luck. So meeting someone like Charles Manson. It must be wild to meet someone who is so persuasive. So persuasive. I guess it's like, um maybe like politicians like not like you know regular politicians but like like i hear bill clinton is incredibly charismatic like no matter you know whatever you think of him or whatever he's a charismatic dude like you want to like him um and i think you know high level politicians mega successful politicians and cult leaders <laughs> maybe people no i think like people who start like big businesses like elon musk and stuff elon musk's not charismatic apple steve jo- steve jobs wasn't charismatic? No, not these guys. It's politicians and cult leaders. <laughs> Interesting. Where other hate ashbury gurus talked about women's liberation, Manson spewed medieval misogyny, where the Lahonda hippies used psychedelics to connect to native spirits and have mumbled conversations about pan-human equality, Manson would use the same drugs to hammer home a garbled and deluded race theory. And where the yippies concocted schemes to bring about a revolution by peaceful electoral means, Manson and his cultists expressed impatience with the current lack of bloody social collapse and plotted murders to get started. And while this all might sound like the absolute opposite of 60s counterculture, a sort of counter- counterculture it actually wasn't in the same way the extreme left can sometimes be difficult to distinguish from the extreme right possibly the most disturbing thing about Manson's ideas is just how seamlessly they fitted into the more extreme facets of the alternative radicalism of the 60s yeah I mean when you go too far left or too far right on either side it's like here be here be monsters you know it's like anyone who is just that far on either side I'm always like I don't know, it just seems, it seems like a weird place to be. Like, I definitely have political opinions, I tend not to share them. Um, But I would say I'm like, I'm not extreme in either direction at all. It just feels like weird to be so aligned with something. And so like, another thing you see is people just lockstep in ideas. Like, okay, maybe, you know, I have some left-wing ideals. And... But then, if someone, if the, the like general left is like, yeah, this is also a good idea, take it on its merit, assess it individually. Don't be like, yeah, 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 of course. I don't know. Doesn't that seem doesn't that seem logical? Politics is weird. I don't really like it that much. Like the the whole people the identify people use it to identify themselves, which I find strange. What we're we talking about, this isn't relevant at all. And just you know, it's like dinner. Like I I feel like these things, it's like dinner. You know with people don't talk about politics don't talk about religion we sometimes bring up religion but only briefly and politics less isn't there another thing you don't talk about at dinner it's politics religion and there's another classic thing which i don't remember it's probably why i don't get invited to dinner because i'm always bring up that third thing that i don't remember how to win friends and influence people of course, someone like Charlie isn't formed purely by sociological or cultural factors, and there's a solid sprinkling of all the classic ingredients found in the violent antisocial psychopath recipe in his early life and development. On November the 12, 1934, a 16-year-old runaway called Kathleen Maddox gave birth to charles mills maddox in cincinnati ohio the identity of the father is unknown shortly after the birth kathleen married william manson and despite the briefness of this union her son charles took his name and become and became charles mills manson by all accounts, including Manson's own, Kathleen was not interested in becoming a mother. He tells a story of being sold to a cafe waitress for a pitcher of beer, his uncle having to search the city for days to recover him after Kathleen had simply drunk the beer and left him with the waitress. Other accounts tell of Manson, honestly, honestly, if that's who your mum is, you're better off with the person who traded the beer. They're probably also not the best because they bought a child for beer, um, but they're better than the person who gave up the child for beer. Like objectively. Other accounts tell of Manson being forced to sleep in his mother's bed even when she was uh, receiving other men for sex, and that he once attempted to have sex with her himself for which he was brutalized the majority of his early childhood however was spent bouncing around various relatives partly because of kathleen's neglect and partly because of her own criminal activity these de facto foster parents were also not ideal his grandmother being a religious fanatic one of his uncles abusing him for being effeminate and another committed suicide while manson was in his care when he found out his property was about to be seized oh my god this is the making of manson this is the you know it's like oh look abused kid what a surprise not not all of these kids i'm not saying that become monsters but oh my god is there a correlation in these stories and the lesson there as we often come back to don't abuse your children don't abuse your children it makes it makes monsters unsurprisingly Manson took to crime with a special penchant for stealing cars and when he wasn't in the neglectful and abuseful bosom of his extended family he was in reformatories and juvenile detention facilities he was also an escape artist at his adolescent life was an endless cycle of absconding from institution uh from an institution stealing and getting caught and sent back before escaping again at 17 charlie drove a stolen car across state lines uh oh that's gonna be his first federal crime i know that from the movies if you're doing crimes don't cross don't don't continue doing the same crime into another state isn't there didn't we have someone in a previous it was either in a movie or a previous casual criminalist. they blur where they kidnapped someone and drove them across state lines and that becomes some sort of more major crime and then the fbi got involved rather than the local police and then they were like the fbi were really good compared to the local police and they found them i don't remember what it was but i feel like that definitely happened i mean it's definitely happened but i don't remember where we covered it And he was locked up in federal prison where he'd rack up eight assault charges in a year before being transferred elsewhere good lord he also claims to have suffered intense sexual abuse at this and other institutions it was here that he took the carnegie course based on the book how to win friends and influence people which suggests an interest in manipulating others quite early in his career wait just because he read the book i've read how to win friends and influence people like back in the day it's one of those major self-help books i don't know i feel a bit cringe admitting to reading self-help books but i've definitely read read a few (laughs) is one of them uh, self-help's a bit cringe isn't it but it's also good i mean there's definitely stuff that i'm like yeah that's that's useful that's like you know helpful in life i'm sure i don't remember anything about how to win friends and influence people but i'm sure one of them like one of the biggest things i think about like meeting people is everyone always wants to talk about themselves and if you just let and it's like a really good thing to do is just listen to other people just hear other people's story and it's like then you're more likely to make friends <laughs> of course and here I am, and also I get all my talking out at work. So I'm fairly sure that was in that book, and that is just such a good life skill, and it's also super interesting. It's just a great life tip, but uh, apparently that m- makes me interested in manipulating other que- people. <laughs> Seems a bit harsh. The pe- This period of Charlie's life is covered in even greater detail in a fantastic video on the Peerless Biographic Channel. You're goddamn right, it's Peerless. <laughs> which i'm sure you'd all like to watch once you finish this one if you don't know uh biographics is another channel that i do on youtube which i host uh check it out after a couple of brief marriages in 1955 and 1958 respectively the first to a 17 year old waitress named rosalie willis and the second to a prostitute named leona stevens who went by the name candy charlie was given his first long stretch seven years for crossing state lines with the intent of prostitution wait what wait 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 (laughs) hang on is that am i interpreting that correctly so if you're in i don't know american geography but if you're in california is utah no utah's not next what's that state the one with las vegas nevada that's next to california because i've driven from las vegas to los angeles on a road trip and i'm barely sure that was the state so if you're just hanging out in las vegas and you're like i want to do some prostitution like be a uh not a, a, a customer is that right customer of prostitution or sex work i'm not sure Prostitution's is not okay to say anymore is it you got to say is it sex work i don't know i don't know look i'm not trying to be offensive but if you drive to los angeles with the intention of sleeping with a sex worker that's a federal crime that can get you seven years in prison is that right that seems pretty mental to be honest uh he also had two sons one by each wife charles manson jr and charles luther manson wait he called both his sons charles after himself that Reeks of narcissism, my dude. Whether this arose from lack of imagination or a strong dynastic instinct, I suppose we'll never know. It just a strong narcissistic instinct, maybe. During a seven year stretch at McNeil Island Penitentiary, Puget Sound, Charlie didn't sign up for any of the formal academic or trade programmes available, but nevertheless furthered his own education in biblical ranting, steel guitar, and Scientology. Really? Scientology, huh? Manson's cellmate during this period was one Lafayette Raymer, aka Lanier Raymer, a qualified Scientology Auditor. Raymer reportedly gave Manson over 150 hours of auditing a set of processes designed to bring about the theta state That's that thing. They do with that weird measuring thing. Isn't it that measures your? Why well, I guess it doesn't really measure anything because it's not real is it like, you know, but um, it measures Theta oh, no, it gets you in a theta state the meaning of which isn't remotely important. Okay, let's stop exploring that tangent. The important thing is that it's an indoctrination process which delivers the main tenets of Scientology. My wife was almost recruited by Scientology, like, back in the way before I met her. She went to... There was something, and it was, like, a friend of hers or something, and they were, like, come to one of our Scientology thing, like, like, our um meetings, and there's, like, we'll do this test on you. So she had this weird, like, thing with the... The reading's done. And she was like, this is weird and fake, and never went back. (laughs) Good for her. Uh, So it delivers the main tenets of Scientology. Fellow inmates of Manson's, including the bank robber Alvin Creepy Carpus, who taught him how to play steel guitar, reported that Manson was interested in Scientology mainly for the elements which would help him to do anything or be anything. There's also the fact that the church was quite new at this time, and it was recorded in Manson's file as a sign of rehabilitation that he was finding religion of some kind. Rehabilitating him from... Going to a prostitute in a different state? Did I really miss something? That doesn't seem that doesn't seem right. One of Manson's biographers, Jeff Gwynn, speculated it might also have been the more manipulative techniques of Scientology, their recruitment and persuasion methods, which interested Charlie most. It is very important to note that the Church of Scientology has declared repeatedly that Manson was never officially a member of the church, and that their beliefs had nothing whatsoever to do with the murders. And given their propensity to sue, I for one believe them. Yeah, I mean it also there are many things that make a charlie manson and i mean even though I, <laughs> yeah their propensity to see why i do believe them but i really okay it's religion religion in general is you know it manipulates people into believing things it's what religion is about it's like hey believe in this why well there's these reasons okay or not okay It was during this time that manson whose playing didn't really impress his teacher carpus became convinced that his spiritual destiny after leaving prison was to become a world famous rock star bigger than the beatles whom he came to view as psychic collaborators and professional rivals as all perfectly sane amateur magicians do yeah honestly i feel the same way like uh i i like uh he's an absolute legend in presentation david attenborough it's like yeah he's my rival David Ash. <laughs> Please, facts, boy. It's interesting to note that Charlie asked if he could stay in prison instead of being released. I wonder if the officials involved ever think about how differently things might have turned out if they'd been able to grant him his wish. Why did he want to stay in prison? Didn't he say that he was brutally sexually abused in prison? That doesn't sound like it's like, no, I really want to go, I'm not into this anymore. The Hort Ashbury Messiah. Charlie left prison with the apparent intention of collecting a stable of devotees-slash-sex workers in San Francisco before heading to LA to snag his recording contract and worldwide rock star fame and success. Hate Ashbury at the time must have been a bit like first-century Jerusalem streets crowded with devotees and apocalyptic prophets proclaiming proclaim- uh, uh, declaiming declaiming is declaiming different from proclaiming their revelations from various street corners and public parks and squares according to jeff ginn author of the substantial 2013 opus manson the life and times of charlie manson of charles manson sorry he started first by listening oh my god he did read that book (laughs) (laughs) is manson so (laughs) does everyone just read that book and take away that how about listening to people instead of talking about yourself all the time gin writes for days charlie drifted from one street guru to the next memorizing their best lines and putting together his own street rap the street philosophy charlie initially spouted was a hybrid cobbled together from Beatles song lyrics biblical passages scientology and the dale carnegie technique of presenting everything dramatically wait i don't remember that present everything dramatically i mean i guess in a way (laughs) i subconsciously absorbed that lesson because now here we are that was me being dramatic you're welcome he offered nothing really different from the hundreds of other would-be hate gurus this is this place apparently it's pronounced hate ashbury it's spelled like hot haut. Haut. uh Hort ash hate ashbury gurus with the exception of his presentation charlie was a masterful orator he entertained as well as he al- oh i'm sorry this is a quote i totally missed that this was a quote where does the quote begin for days charlie drifted from one street guru to the next until entertained as well as enlightened i'm sorry normally i say quotes to give people credit because especially with a lengthy quote like this and i just realized it was i'm sorry Uh, that was all a quote in the heady counterculture environment of the 60s and armed with drugs charisma sales training and cult programmed program programming took techniques some mouthful. Manson was able to collect his family with astonishing ease. His similarity to all the other street prophets was not as one might assume a weakness, it was a strength. He was able to give the impression of being part of the greater countercultural tide instead of what he really was, a delusional and intensely warped individual, but well, individual out to aggrandize himself at the expense of a system and society he felt had tortured and belittled him according to court documents charlie acquired a vw bus and began traveling around the country with his female followers young girls and women who were runaways dropouts or otherwise disassociated with conventional society once he'd collected his core of apostles and moved down to Los Angeles, Manson began mixing with some surprisingly prominent people in the LA music scene. First was Dennis Wilson, drummer for the Beach Boys, who he met through a music teacher acquaintance called Gary Hinman. Manson used a classic bait and switch on Dennis, honey trapping him with two of his female followers and then orchestrating an introduction by essentially acting as a pimp and drug dealer to Dennis and his showbiz friends. Manson was able to get his hooks into Dennis so far that he actually recorded one of his songs, and there was some very preliminary talk about charlie becoming a beach boy no there wasn't is that true i feel like i knew the involvement of the beach boy and manson beach boys and manson but i thought they just hung out and that they were musically involved but i didn't realize that really <laughs> He also entered a meeting with record producer terry melcher doris day's son hoping to further his destiny music career through this association of course none of these plans came to fruition whether it was the strangeness of charlie himself his weird music or his erratic drug-fueled behavior he was continually frustrated in his attempts to become the next john lennon as his connections dried up very much as a result of that same erratic drug-fueled behavior manson and the family retreated to the Spahn movie ra- ranch which had been a popular film set during the 40s and 50s, and the place had basically become cult central headquarters, interspersed by several stays at the homes of their remaining friends. It was during these periods of isolation, mostly at Spahn Ranch and beginning in 1968, that Charlie outlined his vision for the future. Described by most who knew him as barely literate, Manson was able to quote large sections of the Bible by rote, being especially fond of the ninth chapter of the Book of Revelation, the one with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, that's the one you want, huh? He believed that John Lennon and the Beatles were these four horsemen. Holy shit. And he was fixated on their recently released white album especially the songs helter skelter which he thought referred to a coming armageddon and unsurprisingly revolution 9 as in revelation chapter 9. he believed this armageddon would take the form of the blacks quote being locked in an apocalyptic war with white people whom charlie associated with the roman empire and encouraged to family uh, the family to refer to as pigs uh wait he associated white people with the roman empire i assume he's meaning that he they wanted he wanted them to refer to black people as pigs rather than white people that's weirdly worded but it would be weird if pigs is not a positive connotation uh the family would ride the conflict out in a secret golden city underneath death valley there are some gems of details that I don't know about the Manson uh the Manson family once it was all over they would re-emerge and help the blacks who Charlie assumed would be victorious but incapable of self-government to rule the world wait what is going on this is so crazy i thought he was just racist uh i mean this is fairly <laughs> still racist still racist <laughs> i just assumed it was more like classic classic white supremacist racism where it's like yeah there'll be a war between white and black people and obviously <laughs> the white people will win because they're white ah uh, you know classic arianism Um, as with most apocalyptic prophets, there was the somewhat awkward problem of the apocalypse failing to happen. (laughs) For Manson, the most reasonable solution to this was the family getting started themselves in order to show the blacks, as he called them in his more polite moods, how to do it. Okie dokie. This is all very weird. The Murder of Gary Hinman there's quite a lot of dispute surrounding the killing of music teacher Gary Hinman. The problem arises with one of Charlie's henchmen, a certain Bobby Beausoleil. Bobby ha- gave a series of interviews for a Fox special which aired in 2018, outlining what felt to many like a litany of excuses for his actions. that other manson family members corroborate his testimony there's a tendency to accept his account on the other hand a perpetual issue with the manson family murders is the fact that their testimony is generally inconsistent sometimes wildly so which makes it important to take all of it with quite a large pinch of salt Gary Hinman was a talented musician who played at Carnegie Hall, worked in a music shop during the day, and was also a sought after teacher for everything from the bongos to the bagpipes. On top of all of this, he'd recently become attracted to a Japanese form of Buddhism and was planning a pilgrimage to Japan and was also running a mescaline factory in the basement of his house. Holy <laughs> shit. It's like, here's a regular dude. He plays all these instruments and he wants to go to Japan and he's a musician and boom, he also runs a mescaline factory. Right according to all who knew him gary was a fantastic guy who allowed his friends and acquaintances to use his house as a sort of drop-in center and free short-term hotel bobby along with family members susan atkins and mary brunner befriended gary bobby had even stayed in the topanga canyon home and gary had according to bobby slept with both susan and mary Bobby claims Gary had sold him $1,000 worth of mescaline tablets, which he then sold on to other customers. He claimed that these secondary customers were dissatisfied and demanded their money back, so Bobby, Susan, and Mary went back to the Hinman house to demand a refund. It's important to know- <laughs> <laughs> Isn't, like, being a drug dealer, like, one of those, like, oh, yeah, I got sold You know, if you're buying, like, Coke or whatever to sell to other people with Coke, and they sold you flour uh i mean unless you're going back with a gun which wait maybe they are i feel like if you're selling you've got to be you've got to you've got to be able to like defend yourself or like attack because it's not like you'd be like i want a refund you're like no refunds (laughs) what are you gonna do sue me but i get the feeling because he gets murdered that they probably are going back there with a gun but then this gary chap should really have a gun himself or something or be ready to defend himself seeing as he's a mescaline dealer it's important to note that, Vince, that in Vincent Bugliosi's book, Helter Skelter, this drug angle isn't mentioned at all. According to Bugliosi, he was the prosecutor who put Manson and his co-accused away. The three of them had gone there on Charlie's orders with the intent to extort inheritance money that they incorrectly believed Henman had hidden in his house. So whose was the drug angle? Was that the guy who was giving that interview? Okay, maybe. I'm not sure where the drug angle came from then. Yeah, either way two different things that it seems to be one of those stories where there's a lot of different you know conflicting accounts and stuff anyway whatever the truth bobby susan and mary arrived at the hinman home on the 25th of july 1969 demanding money gary told them that he had none and bobby attempted to beat it out of his former friend when gary still proved uncooperative bobby called in charlie who came round with a samurai sword holy (laughs) which he used to slice up the poor man's face and ear here's where the official account diverges from bobby boseley's according to reporting at the time after manson left the three family members tortured their helpless victim for several days before finally stabbing him to death okay it just went i know we all know it's the manson murders it's the manson family we know where it's going and it goes horrible but if we were going into this completely blind this is where shit got real because before it was just a weird cult and they were up to weird stuff and now it's like they're torturing and murdering murdering people things changed according to bobby they put garrett they tried to patch gary up and then under the twin influences of paranoia and charlie's repeated urgings over the phone He finally decided that they had no option but to kill him it's probably worth noting it's probably worth pointing out that bobby's account is chock full of elements which might be considered mitigation and was quite possibly given with one eye fixed firmly on the parole board either way bobby boseley susan atkins and mary brunner killed a gentle and well-loved man who had been a good friend to them and used his blood to write political piggy on the walls they also drew a paw print in an attempt to pin the murder on the black panther movement and trigger the race war that charlie was so sure was coming the tate murders On the night of the 8th of August 1969, Sharon Tate, an actress who was best known for her role in Valley of the Dolls and a handful of schlock horror and comedy pieces, was settled in for an evening with friends. Sharon's husband, film director Roman Polanski, was away in Europe and she was more than eight months pregnant. Staying in the house with her were hairstylist and close friend Jay Sebring, screenwriter and friend of her husband's Wojtek Frakowski, and his girlfriend, the coffee heiress Abigail Folger. Outside, Manson's right-hand man, Charles Tex Watson, had just driven to the fence line with family members Linda Kasabian, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwinkel after first first cutting the telephone cables connecting the house. They had been dispatched by Charlie on instructions to kill everyone they found inside. As they were leaving, Manson had leaned into the car and further explained, you girls know what I mean, something witchy. The four of them, with Tex carrying a length of rope, climbed up an embankment and over the fence to the outer grounds. As they did so, a Rambler motor vehicle, driven by 18-year-old Stephen Parent, who'd been visiting the caretaker in the guesthouse, approached the street gate. Tex stepped out in front of the car to stop it. According to Kasabian, Parents said, ''Please don't hurt me, I won't say anything,'' before Tex shot him multiple times. They sent Kasabian to stand as a lookout near the car and headed to the house where Tex cut a window screen to gain access. Finding Wojciech sleeping on the couch, Tex told him he was the devil and here to do the devil's business and began administering a beating. It seems Atkins, Crenwick and Watson found the other four occupants of the house in the living room. Kasabian, from her position near the car, says she had pleading and screams coming from the house before Wojciech Fry- Frykowski came running outside, followed by Atkins and Tex. Wojciech fell, got to his feet, and then was stabbed and shot to death by Tex Watson. She then saw Abigail Folger escape the house, with Patricia Krenwinkel in pursuit with a knife. Crime scene photos of the killings show that Frackowski had been stabbed 51 times and shot twice, as well as suffering multiple lacerations, apparently from blunt trauma. Abigail Folger was stabbed 28 times. In the living room, Jay Sebring and Sharon Tate had been yoked together with a rope and had been slung from a high ceiling beam. Both Sebring and Tate had been slashed multiple times around the chest and Sebring had been stabbed seven times. And shot once fatally the ceiling was riddled with bullets and the coroner's report showed sharon Tate had been hanged as well as stabbed 16 times her unborn child did not survive the attack as they left susan atkin used sharon Tate's blood to write the word pig on the front door before all four of them drove back to Spahn ranch disposing of their bloody clothing along the way yeah i don't really have anything to add there it's just uh, a grim part of history that i think we're all fairly familiar with and let's move on the labianka murders Once they'd arrived back at the ranch, Charlie had debriefed them all and given his opinion that the murders had been too messy. It had been surmised that, along with this helter-skelter drivel, Manson had been looking to make the murders look more like the Hinman murder as a means of taking some of the pressure off Bobby Bosley, who was currently under arrest for it. Not so much from loyalty to one of his devoted followers, but he was concerned that Bobby might give him up, Manson told the four family members to keep quiet about their own murders and get some sleep oh my god don't worry about it just don't tell anyone to go to sleep it's like people are psychos after dinner the following day manson gathered members of the family together tex atkins kin krenwinkel kasabian leslie van holten steven dennis grogan he told them that they were to go out again and show them how to do it. They all piled into a car and Casabian drove while Manson gave seemingly random directions as they sought another set of murder victims. They eventually pulled up outside a house belonging to Harold True, a man known to some of the family. Casabian says that's a quote by the way, a man known to some of the family. Casabian says she objected to the idea of killing True, but Manson told her That he was going next door like the cielo drive house which manson knew had previously been home to terry melcher the record producer who had rejected him it seems that for all his prophetic show he was just simply hunting in ranges familiar to him. According to Cassabian, Manson and Tex Watson went into the house of a couple called Lino and Rosemary Lebianka. Lino was a hard working family man who had established himself in the grocery store business before divorcing and meeting the similarly divorced Rosemary. They had married and together had a happy, Brady Bunch style mixed family. Manson and Tex came out of the house a few minutes later, saying they'd tied up a man and a woman and sent two of the girls leslie van holten and patricia krenwinkel back in with tex according to van holten tex watson stayed with leno while they took rosemary to a separate room it seems that at some point leno began to struggle and tex stabbed him in the neck with bayonet this prompted rosemary to begin screaming and pleading for her life at which point van holten began stabbing her with various implements that she had fetched from the kitchen the knives bent and the girls yelled for tex to come and help them which he did it's just so crazy how one just that, the just it comes back to that, like that charisma, or like that persuasiveness of one person who, and I'm not saying these people aren't bad people as well, but the fact that they're so blindly following Manson and what he wants them to do, and just doing these things with seemingly without question, it's just, it's just remarkable. I mean, you see it with these other cult leaders, but in this case, it just seems so. You're not just taking your own life in something, you know, like Jonestown, which you know is equally not—it's not equally crazy. It's like this is where you're not just taking your own life, but they say you've got to go out and kill people, innocent people. It's just crazy. Uh, when Rosemary was dead, Kremwinkel then moved to Leno Labianka, stabbing him with a toasting fork and carving the words "war" on his abdomen. He then used blood from his victims to write "rise" and "death to pigs" on the walls, as well as "helter skelter." Oh, "helter skelter," they misspelled it on the refrigerator. When Rosemary's sixteen-year-old son returned from a vacation the following day, he had been meant to be home that night, but had pleaded for an extra day staying with friends, he found both his mother and stepfather's bodies. Benno was in the living room with a bloodied pillowcase over his head, an electrical cord around his neck, and his hands tied together and with a leather thong. The coroner counted a total of twenty seven wounds on his body, along with the carving and the knife in his along with the carving and the knife in his neck. Krenwinkel had apparently left the fork in his abdomen. Rosemary was found bound and muffled in exactly the same way, her exposed body bearing 41 stab wounds. Arrest and trial. The la police were initially very confused by the murders though to their credit they don't appear to have taken seriously any of the clumsy attempts to pin them on the black panthers they initially thought the Labianca murders might be a copycat of the tate killings ironically vindicating manson's connection he knew better how to stage a copycat in the meantime they raided the baker ranch the family's death valley hideaway for unrelated arson and grand theft charges and placed several of the family in custody one of these was susan atkins who confided details of the Tate murders to her cellmate virginia graham (laughs) Oh, hippies. <sighs> Uh-oh, someone's breaking the rules. Don't tell other people about your crimes. Don't tell your cellmate about the crimes. We've had episodes of this show where they put police officers in to pretend to be cellmates. And even if they are a real prisoner, yo, it's like if I'm in prison, like just waiting in like uh, police custody or whatever, and it's like, I don't know, what are you in there for? Like stealing a car, robbery, whatever, like bank robbery. And you're like, okay, it's a se- serious crime. Going to go away for a while. But then someone rolls in and you're like, what are you in here for? And they're like, murder. And I'd be like, okay, okay, now's my chance. Did you do it? Did you do it? Tell me all the details. Tell me all of those details. I'm your friend. We're in this together. And then I'd be like, yo, police, guess what? (laughs) You want to let me off on those robbery charges? Because I've got a story to tell you. This account soon made its way to the LAPD. Additionally, police have been interviewing members of the Straight Satan's motorcycle gang, having been tipped off they might have information on a similar murder. Straight Satan's member, Al Springer, told a strange story of Charlie at the Spahn Ranch offering to uh, his pick of any of the 18 or so naked girls kicking around the place. Charlie then went on to brag about the Tate and Labianca murders, providing details which put the police firmly onto Manson's trail. It's weird that telling someone details of your murders would put them on your trail. And the thing is, if it's a fellow criminal, right? You might think, oh, they're a fellow criminal. They're less likely to tell on me. Until they get arrested and they need someone to flip on. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, there's the, the... the What's the name of this thing? The uh, the mafia? <laughs> Big brain. They have that, like, a murder code or whatever, where they, they shut the f*** up and don't tell anyone. Because otherwise, you know, you'll be murdered by your previous mafia clan or whatever but i don't feel like regular criminals have this so much especially if you're not in their gang or whatever I'd just be like yeah yeah i'll tell on you if i don't have to go to prison of course i don't want to go to prison <laughs> or are criminals more honorable among themselves i don't even know i'd definitely tell <laughs> I'd be like i'm not going to jail if i can like tell you about those murders <laughs> no After searching both the Spahn and Baker ranches, where a wealth of evidence was found, Manson, Atkins, Van Holten, Krenwinkel and Watson were all indicted for murder. The trial was an absolute circus. The state chose Vincent Bugliosi, a veteran lawyer who'd secured convictions in 103 of 104 cases, as the chief prosecutor. If you're in court and they've put that guy on you and he's accepted it, it's like, you are, (laughs) you're screwed. Plead it out, plead it out. Manson's lawyer was a defense attorney famous for his disruptive tactics, Irving Canarak. Early in the discovery process, the state had tried to turn Susan Atkins, who had initially agreed to testify in exchange for a guarantee the death penalty wouldn't be sought, but she later recanted presumably threatened by Charlie. Eventually, Linda Kasabian was granted immunity in exchange for her testimony. Oh my god, that's a better deal. It's like, what's on the table? Well, we won't execute you okay yeah okay that sounds like a good deal can we do how about immunity (laughs) can we negotiate that instead that sounds better than just not death uh famously when linda kasabian was called as a prosecution witness Kanarak immediately attempted to have her excluded on the basis of insanity manson turned up uh, to his first day in court with a diagonal cross carved into his forehead saying i've x'd myself From your world the next day the court was filled with members of the family many of whom had carved the same cross into their own foreheads i thought he had like a nazi swastika on his forehead didn't he have like a a swastika carved there or something not just a cross Manson's followers were so disruptive they were eventually ejected prematurely from the courtroom and they held constant vigils outside where the media captivated by this large group of young females gave them enormous amounts of attention of coverage uh the trial was appropriately outsized as well the jury's sequestration sequestered jury okay (laughs) sequestration of 225 days turned out to be the longest ever up until that time linda kasabian remained on the stand for a total of 18 days 11 testifying and seven being cross-examined by canarac canarac devoted quite a lot of effort to painting her as a space cadet incapable of remembering or communicating reliably what is that painting her as a space cadet what does that mean what's a space cadet like someone who's insane when she admitted to having taken lsd on more than 50 occasions he fired back asking her to describe what happened on trip 23. (laughs) how would you on earth would you remember this despite this kasabian who was the only one of the five to have surrendered voluntarily to police proved to be a lucid and credible witness the prosecutor bugliosi wrote in his book that he knew he was walking uh something of a tightrope given manson hadn't actually committed any of the murders he was in the double bind of having to simultaneously prove the insane conspiracy had brainwashed the family uh with and without actually risking manson getting off on an insanity defense he brilliantly pursued a strategy of casting helter skelter and the rest of his crazy pseudo philosophy as a fantasy which manson used to control his followers to compel them to do his bidding grant sexual favors at his command and ultimately commit murder yeah that's what he did and when you it's it's really brilliantly laid out there by the lawyer like just how perfectly that lawyer just described what exactly happened And that's a brilliant legal strategy to pursue. No wonder he wins all the time. After a mammoth six months, on January the 25th, 1971, the jury found Krenwinkel, Atkins, Van Holten, and Manson guilty on all charges. Two months later, after a hearing on the impact of the crimes, they were all sentenced to death. Tex Watson, whose extradition had been delayed due to Texas politics at the time, was found guilty and sentenced to death at a separate trial that same year. In 1972, however, a California Supreme Court decision abolishing the state's death penalty meant that all five of them had their sentences commuted to life in prison. Dismembered appendices. all three of the female family members have expressed remorse for their crimes and it should be remembered how young drug adult and subject to charlie they were at the time susan atkins died of brain cancer in 2009 but both leslie van holten and patricia Krenwin- krenwinkel have been model prisoners and have devoted their time to charity work while in prison despite this they have repeatedly been denied patrol parole van holten was last approved for parole in 2021 but as on multiple occasions in the past it's expected that the governor will veto her release patricia Krenwinkle's next parole application is due for may 2022. while in prison charlie tex watson converted to christianity became an ordained minister married and had four children courtesy of conjugal visits divorced and remains in prison to this day he too has expressed remorse remorse that's incredible he had four children and became a minister while in prison that's crazy i didn't even i knew conjugal visits were a thing in some places but that's pretty crazy wow on september the 5th 1975 lynette frome manson's second ever recruit into the family attempted to assassinate president gerald ford oh i forgot about this that's right they were a manson person with an m1911 colt 45 pistol as an in as an act of environmentalist protest The attempt failed because Frome was unaware the slide on an automatic pistol needs to be pulled back in order to chamber a round. Ah! She spent 34 years in prison and was released in 2009. That's amazing. (laughs) How do you not practice with the gun before you try and assassinate a president? And how do you get so remarkably close to being able to do that? The manson cachet never seems to have gone away with multiple reference to him the family and the killings appearing in popular culture Singer marilyn manson simpson's characters the van holten family and rock band kasabian are just a few examples why would like i was thinking about kasabian the band no that that's not them na 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 something like that they have songs um and i was thinking surely that's that's not after that kasabian and it is why That's so weird. Don't do that. In addition to this, almost all imprisoned members of the family are published, have contributed to multiple documentaries, movies, podcasts and other media, and have never really lost the celebrity status they attained through the murders, which must be lovely for the families of the victims. According to multiple news outlets, a young woman named Afton Elaine Burton attempted to marry Manson in order to gain custody of his body and display it as a tourist attraction these reports are difficult to verify but it's known that a marriage license was obtained and Afton spent nine years visiting Manson in prison on Manson's death from colon cancer in 2017. okay so oh wow it's five years ago already uh three separate claimants for his body fought for an unending and unedifying battle for custody of the corpse including his grandson one of his pen pals and one of his friends they eventually gave it to his grandson but it's curiously satisfying in some ways that Charles Manson's death was attended with such carnival sideshow indignity uh yeah maybe this has been a dark episode and a well-trodden episode of the casual criminalist i hope you enjoyed our coverage even though it's well trodden you heard it before i hope we added something new to the story today i learned details that i didn't know about and i'm familiar with this story Uh, if you liked it and you're watching there's a like button below there's a comment section if you want to say hi subscribe as well if you're watching as a podcast uh reviews really do help get this show in front of more people i say it every time and if you've been thinking i should do that i should do that now's the time go and do it leave me a nice review it would be wonderful and i'll see you next time